A great employer brand can't happen without effective leadership. It's not just about finding people who fit the suit of executive authority well. It's about taking folks with expertise authority and developing them into effective leaders, whether they have titles or not. That's why our episode six guest is Vicki Baker, an economics and management professor who penned a great op-ed called A Title Does Not a Leader Make. No matter the institution, company, or organization, everyone wants to find the best talent, and everyone wants to keep their best talent. Higher education is no different. I'm Eddie Francis. I've worked in both talent acquisition and higher ed marketing. On this podcast, we're going to explore the ways to create a great experience for faculty and staff on your campus. Because in education, a great employee experience equals a great student experience. And who doesn't want that? We'll have some honest conversation, get insights from experts, and hear success stories from campuses. It's all about developing an attractive employer brand, something that'll make the people say, I wanna work there. Joining I Wanna Work There is Vicki Baker, an E. Maynard Aris Endowed Professor in Economics and Management and Chair of the Economics and Management Department at Albion College. She's the author and co-author of several books, including Managing Your Academic Career, A Guide to Re-Envision Mid-Career, and Charting Your Path to Full, A Guide for Women Associate Professors. And most recently, she penned an op-ed for Inside Higher Ed called A Title Does Not a Leader Make. Vicki, thanks so much for joining us on I Want to Work There. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Eddie. I appreciate it. I'm doing good. Much better now that I read the op-ed um, <laughs> because it resonated with me so much. And we're going to talk about some of the specifics of it. But a title does not a leader make. What made you write that piece? You know, I've been fortunate to have a, a long career so far in the academy and get to engage across the academy in my consulting work through Lead Mentor Develop. And also, I've had a front row seat to good leaders and bad leader behavior. And I was mm. inspired by all of it. Yeah, so that that brings me to one of the parts of the op-ed that really, really stood out to me. It struck me that in reference to talking to your students and asking them about leaders in the academy, specifically those in high-ranking positions, part of what you wrote is, I pose a question. Do you consider these individuals to be leaders? I encourage attendees to think about these individuals based on their behaviors and abilities. Inevitably, the people who display negative behaviors come to mind first. It's easier to identify poor leaders as our go-to, as most of us know what it feels like to work for someone who lacks the capacity for true leadership. I think the part of that that really sticks out to me is capacity for true leadership. So can you can you elaborate on that part, specifically that part about capacity for true leadership, what that means to you. Absolutely. You know, as a management professor in the classroom, I talk a lot about management and leadership in my consulting work, working with mid-career faculty or academic leaders across the academy. We talk about leadership, right? A lot of mid-career professionals are thinking about potentially pursuing leadership positions, but I always pause to say, let's be thoughtful about what we mean by leaders first. And that's where a title does not a leader make. I said, I'm not talking about people with titles. I'm talking about people who have a capacity for leadership through their actions and their behaviors and the way they invest in others. So 
again, I'm not interested in talking to somebody who has a title or talking about somebody who has a title. We know those people. We see those people every day. My grandfather was a drill instructor in the Marine Corps, and he always used to say, you don't demand respect, you command it. And so I think the same thing with leadership, right? You don't dub yourself a leader. You have to show that through your behaviors and through your actions and the ways in which you engage with other people and the ways in which you invest in the development and growth of other people. And so it's such an emotional response when you have worked for somebody who doesn't display any of that, right? Who is all about the I, the me, the this is the way it's going to be kind of approach, the micromanager, the someone who has a hard time holding people accountable, someone who has a hard time being transparent. All of those things are fundamental to being a successful leader through actions and behaviors, not a leader by title. Mm. And yeah, I can say that on a personal note, when I've encountered this kind of behavior throughout my career, and unfortunately, I've encountered it a few times. I mean, I know I'm not alone on that. But one of the things that I have found that it has done is melted away my trust. And it's always, it's also sent a signal to me, there's nowhere else for you to go here because you're not really wanted. You're not, it's not, it doesn't feel like I was accepted and it doesn't feel like anyone wanted to make a pathway for me to advance. So I can only imagine the, in the Academy, which is already in episode two of this podcast, we talked about the culture of the Academy. I can only imagine that for your students, there's probably some, I don't know, do you detect some kind of despair in those comments when they say, when they respond to that? You know, despair, yes, to a certain extent. Or maybe cynicism. Cynicism and just concern that what do we need to do to right this ship? You know, and you see that at the undergrad level with my students, I see it glaringly with the department chairs and the mid-career faculty and even the associate deans and provosts that I work with through my consulting work of there's an appreciation and acknowledgement that we need to be investing resources in people, right? That that's what we need to be doing as a differentiator. And yet for some reason, there's a disconnect in how to do that thoughtfully and intentionally so that we facilitate engagement. You know, before we started the recording, we talked about, we hear so much, whether it's in industry or higher ed, about the importance of attracting and retaining talent. And I'm saying we're missing the important step of we need to engage that talent. And we do it by investing in leaders. And there's nothing worse. You know what? I've been on teams or in departments where, gosh, that department chair or that supervisor just kills the culture. And it takes so long to build a culture up, but man, it can be torn down in a moment, you know, in moments. And that is just such a tough spot to be in terms of morale and just feeling like the contribution that you intended to make is just not being fostered. And so I guess despair, disillusionment, an intense curiosity about how do we fix this situation, right? So that brings me a lot of excitement of, you know, you got people talking about these issues now, right? Like you said before we started the recording, so happy to see a faculty member bring these issues to light. And then maybe that facilitates collaborations and conversations with administrators, faculty, and staff about what should this look like moving forward. So I find a lot of 
excitement in these conversations because we're at least talking about it, we're naming it, and now we're really trying to be thoughtful and creative about how do we move the needle on these issues. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you note in your op-ed is that in higher ed, there is this tendency to promote people based on, as you put it, quote, tenure and knowledge about the institution, not because of their content knowledge, subject matter expertise, or ability to set a vision and execute a strategy in that specific subject domain. That's such a great catch, I think. And so why do you think that is? Why, why do we go for the, the, the institutional knowledge as opposed to the actual knowledge about the subject matter? You know, I think there's unfortunately this disconnect when we're trying to help people make the transition from being an individual contributor to an organizational contributor. And we aren't investing in that as strategically as we need to. And so, yeah, the person who has had a longer tenure does understand the institution better than maybe somebody from outside. They know some of the nuance. They understand some of the politics that happen that aren't as visible to others from the outside. And that person has proven to be a strong individual contributor, right? So they they can identify the critical issues. They can communicate about those critical issues in an interview. And they could probably even talk to you about here's some of the change or actions that need to happen to move the needle. Where the disconnect happens is in their ability to actually make that change happen. It's one thing to be able to identify and talk about what needs to happen, but someone's ability to craft, you know, articulate a vision, to craft and execute a strategy and to empower others' engagement in the process of that, that's a very different thing than me being able to talk about it. I need to be able to do it. And that requires somebody who has the ability to be an organizational contributor. And that's a leap. And so, uh, you know, you're here, you're in front of me, you know, the issues, you get the players, you would be great in this role. And then guess what? Maybe you're not great in this role. Yeah. Is, is it kind of an institutional version of folks not wanting to get out of their comfort zone? Maybe. I mean, they're saying, hey, this person knows how it works around here. So let's just promote them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's comfortability. It's sometimes, ooh, you know, depending on how severe the issues, we might not want to be airing our dirty laundry to other people, right? Like, I can appreciate that very much too. Not to say, right, I know the literature very well. In order to attract, retain, and engage talent, there does need to be opportunities for career advancement in internal, right? If someone's going to work at a place and they see no pathway to advancement, that is not a recipe for long-term viability at an organization. So I realize that we also need that part of the recipe, but that can't be the only part of the recipe. There does need to be that balance between what roles make sense to promote within and advance and to help invest in helping that individual transition from an individual to an organizational contributor. And guess what? We can't keep doing more of the same. We do need to bring out these outside perspectives with individuals who have diverse experiences that maybe go beyond the academy, but are at a value add, and they also need to be at the table. So it really does need to be this balanced approach of internal opportunities for advancement to attract, retain, and engage the talent that you have, but that to also illustrate that you've got these pathways and you're investing in talent development as a draw for diverse talent coming from outside within. Let's play a game. What keywords does your website rank for? What doesn't it rank for that you think it should? What are a few opportunities you could be winning on if you tweaked some website copy? Okay, how'd you do? Not great, that's okay. 
because our friends at DD Agency want to answer all of those questions for you and then some. DD Agency is a higher ed specific marketing technology agency that has conducted countless SEO audits for colleges and universities across the country. In these audits, they detail where you currently rank, what you could be ranking for, exactly how copy should be tweaked on website pages, and much more. If this sounds like something you could benefit from, give those folks a ping and be sure to mention that Enrollify sent you to claim a 10% discount on any of their SEO offerings. Head on over to enrollify.org slash DDASEO or simply follow the link in the show notes below that will guarantee you a 10% discount off of your audit. Again, head on over to enrollify.org slash DDASEO to learn more. Now, on to the show. Let's talk about what's a big thing for you, and that is succession planning when it comes to leadership. And and with my having worked at small institutions, I've wondered what it would what would happen in areas where you have like the one person shop, which I have seen a lot of. And as a matter of fact, I've been a one person shop in a couple of institutions. And so let's say you got this person, this one person shop, they have a great operation going. They've established some great stuff. They've brought in grants. They've done whatever they've done. They've helped with revenue, all that good stuff. In my experience, though, I've always wondered, so what happens when they go? And unfortunately, what happens if they go unexpectedly? You know. And so one of the things I've tried to do in my positions is that I have tried to leave breadcrumbs for my successors. You know, I've tried to, I've tried to, I've, I've actually left documents and I've left all kinds of stuff to say, hey, this is where we were going. You take the baton and you just keep on going. But, but I've actually worried about whether or not they would see it as a succession. And it was really more of an opportunity for them to just do it their way or whatever that is. It seems that succession planning seems to be a bit of an afterthought when it comes to leadership in higher ed. I don't know if I'm reading that right, but it just feels like it is. And so why does it seem to be that with higher ed, there seems to be somewhat of a difficulty in really thinking about the succession planning when it comes to leadership? You know, and and that's been my experience too. Again, as somebody who's at a small institution and you are often one of a few or the only person who does what you do. And in some ways that's really empowering, right? I get to kind of craft this the way I want to. But then to your point, when that person leaves, either planned or unplanned, man, that leaves a gaping hole of institutional knowledge that is in that person's brain and it's not codified anywhere. You don't want to see your work die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so tough. It's so tough. And you're just, I mean, we've had people even at Albion College that you don't even think of the position. You just know the person by the name. That's that person's role, right? That you don't even think about them as positions. There's a name attached to it and that's it. And so it's so easy for us to do that, but then you're not doing yourself any favors on the back end of, okay, we need to think about this as a position and the role of this position and the knowledge needed and the knowledge anticipated. And so in order to really be thoughtful about succession planning and succession management in higher ed, it requires an institutional investment in infrastructures, right? So we do need knowledge management systems that enable us to capture critical information that is necessary for people in the positions to be able to be effective. It requires us to have critical position reviews on a yearly basis of, you know, just because the job description said X, 
within six months, that X might not even be accurate anymore, right? It's evolved. And so we need to be reviewing those at least on a yearly basis and then thinking about what knowledge, skills, and abilities are necessary for the position as it is now, not what it was six months ago or a year. We've got to keep up on those things. It requires team-level conversations about skills needed and skills required as we anticipate those needs in the future. And then it also requires an identification of high potentials, right? You see a lot of that. You hear hypos. You hear that term a lot in business, hypos, hypos. And you need to start identifying who those hypos are earlier in a pipeline and start investing in them now in anticipation of the ways that they can add value to the institution. But that, again, requires a deliberate investment of time, of human and of intellectual resources. And again, when we think resources, we often think of financial in the academy, and obviously those are pretty tight right now, but you can invest in high potentials in ways that don't require a financial investment. But again, it's through career advancement, through leadership development, through other human resources and intellectual resources. So we just need to think more broadly about that in the academy. So on a couple of episodes of this podcast, if I want to work there, in episodes two and three, our guests indicated that employees who want to advance in their institutions generally don't see realistic opportunities. Do you think that there's a chance, or at least have you gotten any indication, whether it's through your consulting or through your instruction, do you think that there's a chance that employees might see opportunities on their campuses differently if they were able to think more like leaders? Or have they given you that feedback? You know, that's a really interesting question. And it might be a a kind of a yes and response, right? So I do think on some campuses that that perception of limited or little to no leadership or growth opportunities is real right? Particularly at smaller campuses, which you have experience and I do too. You might go from a department chair level and then the next is associate provost. Man, that's a pretty big leap. (laughs) There's not a whole lot of other opportunities within there. And so I do think that that's true and maybe not across all institutional settings, but I do think that perception is reality. And here's the and part. I also think we need to think more broadly about what leadership looks like on our respective campuses. Again, I go back to the title, a titer does not a leader make. I have colleagues who I would describe as leaders in the classroom, as leaders in terms of scholarship and their creative inquiry, as leaders in terms of service or faculty governance or leaders in the community moving the needle in really amazing, innovative ways. And that leadership doesn't come with a title. So again, a title does not a leader make that we need to be thoughtful about the ways in which we want to be providing a value add and the context and the spaces and in places in which that we would be enabled to do that. So I think we need to think broadly about where leadership happens and the context in which that leadership provides a true value add and acknowledgement that, again, to be a leader does not require somebody to have a title. It requires them to have necessary support. It requires them to be enabled 
to be a leader, but you don't need a title in order to do that. And also in the academy, right, a lot of positions have a three-year term, a department chair, maybe even a dean. And that's challenged in that I have to hold my peers accountable and I've got a three-year window to do it. And then when my three-year window is up, that same colleague I held accountable might be overseeing me. So I'm going to be really thoughtful about how I navigate that situation. So there's just all these kind of nuances that happen in the academy that stifle leadership, I think. And I do think we need to consider leadership more broadly and that leadership just does not always have to have a title attached to it. So well, let me ask a follow up to that, though. So what does it look like, though, when you walk people through this process and you hear them talk about how, you know, another aspect of leadership, they've been able to guide people in a direction to accomplish a goal very simply. What does it look like for them when the light bulb comes off and they realize, wait, I have been leading. I just don't have a title. I may not have any kind of executive authority here, but I have been leading. So what does that look like to them? That, that's got to feel good to them. Absolutely. And it actually comes out a lot in those workshops and webinars I do with mid-career faculty. They say just what you're saying. Well, I'm not a leader. And then, you know, I go, tell me a little bit about what you're doing in terms of scholarship or talk to me about the service you're engaged in or talk to me about what you're doing in the classroom. And I sit back and realize, man, how fortunate am I to be able to engage with these individuals and hear these stories. And I tell them that's leadership right there, what you're doing, you are being a leader, you're moving the needle, you're improving the lives of the people that you support, you are improving the community with which you have and seek membership, you are advancing the institutional priorities in really thoughtful, compelling ways, that is leadership, right? And sometimes, as you know, you actually can move the needle more in those positions than someone who maybe yeah. has the leadership <laughs> title attached to them because you've got some constraints operating on you where you can't maybe be as forthcoming as you would like to be or can't be as straightforward as you would like to be because you have to really navigate you know, relationships and navigate stakeholders and be very thoughtful and intentional with what you're saying. Whereas you sometimes do have a little more freedom and are unencumbered when you don't have that title, but you can actually display the behaviors to move the needle in, in really cool ways. It's got to be pretty cool for you too, though. I mean, to hear it and to be able to help them realize that you got to feel pretty, pretty cool too. Absolutely. You know, I'm like, you did the work. I just get to help you highlight it. I didn't do anything amazing. I just was helping you realize. And again, that's even more challenging for women faculty, women faculty of color, persons of color, right? That there's just kind of that invisible barrier and sometimes very visible barrier that's preventing somebody from being able to engage to their full potential. And so having the opportunities to have those conversations to help them see themselves in a different lens to see from my perspective of what they're bringing to the table, even with students, man, that's a darn good gig. It's a darn good gig. <laughs> So what I love to do on this podcast is I love to talk about the way forward, the way forward so that so that um, campuses and campus leaders can have the tools to engage their employees, faculty and staff and, and so that they can become ambassadors. They can become branded ambassadors of those campuses. And so in your op ed, you have five calls to action, which I love, by the way, I love these calls to action to enhance leadership development practices. One, you call for more robust recruitment strategies. I used to be a recruiter, so I love that one. 
Two, you know, going beyond conventional sources for talent. Three, more diverse internal search committees, which I find extremely interesting. Four, making growth plans part of annual evaluations. And five, considering the needs of the future over the moment. So which one do you feel strongest about and why? Probably no surprise, the growth plans is part of a person's KPIs, right? The key performance indicators. If you are making the shift from individual contributor to organizational contributor, you better darn well be investing in your team. And that requires you to be intentional, to be clear on what their strengths and abilities are, to find out where they would like to see themselves in the next three to five years, figuring out ways that you can create opportunities for them to be able to invest in themselves appropriately. But I think it is one of the reasons why we see so few actual leaders in the academy, because we don't build that in as an expectation that you invest in the growth of your team members. That's critical, right? If you want to attract, retain, and engage talent, you have to invest in that talent. And if you are in a position that requires you to supervise a team and to support their career advancement, that better be part of your responsibilities. And you should be part of a 360 evaluation that asks your team members to talk on behalf of how well or how effective or not you have been in being very intentional about career advancement and growth opportunities and having those one-on-one conversations, that information better be part of your performance appraisal with your supervisor. And if that's not being asked for, I think that's a problem. So all of those five action steps are critically important, but I think the foundational one is growth plans as part of a person's KPIs. Vicki Baker, she is an E. Maynard Aris Endow Professor in Economics and Management and Chair of the Economics and Management Department at Albion College. And uh, also, she wrote the op-ed, Inside Higher Ed's A Title Does Not a Lead or Make. The information for all of that in the show notes, you'll get the links, all of that good stuff when you get to the show notes. Is there a way that folks can find out more about you or if they, if you, if they want to connect with you, is there a way they can reach you? Yeah, absolutely. They can reach me at vbaker.albion at albion.edu, excuse me. And then also I am a co-founder of Lead Mentor Develop LLC, um, where that's where I do my consulting work for higher ed institutions, whether it's around mid-career faculty development, department chair training, leadership training, strategy sessions. So they can find me at leadmentordevelop.com and they'll get to see just a kind of swath of the work that I get the, the benefit to do across the academy which again, goes back to the first question, what inspired me to write the piece? I've had a bird's eye view for a while and we get to have these conversations. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put this in writing and we'll see if it resonates. And I'm pleased that it did. Absolutely. Well, Vicki, thank you so much for joining me on I Want to Work There. Thank you, Eddie. I Want to Work There is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, check out other Enrollify shows. The Enrollify Podcast Network is growing by the month with all kinds of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows. And they're jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. There are some great industry voices that you can check out, like Terry Flannery, my good friend Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Corinne Myers, Dustin Ramsdale, Jamie Gleason, and many more. Learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. 
Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. So uh, come and find yours.